0: Section one of a plea for ragged schools, or prevention better than cure, by the Reverend Thomas Guthrie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. A plea for ragged schools by the Reverend Thomas Guthrie, section one. Can hope look forward to a manhood raised on such foundations? Hope is none for him, the pale recluse indignantly exclaimed, and tens of thousands suffer wrongs as deep. At this day who shall enumerate the crazy huts and tottering hovels whence to issue forth a ragged offspring with thin upright hair crowned like the image of fantastic fear, or wearing, shall we say, in that white growth and ill-adjusted turban, for defence or fierceness, wreathed around their sun-burnt brows by savage nature. Shriveled are their lips, naked and coloured like the soil, the feet on which they stand, as if thereby they drew some nourishment, as trees do by their roots, from earth, the common mother to us all. Figure and mien, complexion and attire, are leagued to strike dismay, but outstretched hand and whining voice denote them suppliants for the least boon that pity can bestow wordsworth on approaching edinburgh from the west after the general features which distance presents dome and spire and antique piles of building the castle standing in the foreground while arthur's seat raises its lion-like back between the city and the sea the first object which attracts the eyes of a stranger is a structure of exquisite and surpassing beauty. It might be a place for a queen. It is a hospital. Near by, embowered in wood, stands an edifice of less pretensions but also great extent. It is another hospital. Within a bowshot of that, again, some fine open towers rise from the wood over a fair structure, with its Grecian pillars and graceful portico it is another hospital now in the city and wheeling round nigh to the base of the castle rock he drives on by loriston not far away on the outskirts of the town pleasantly planted in a beautiful park bordered with trees stands an old-fashioned building it is another hospital in his way along loriston within a stone cast of him his eye catches the back of a large and spacious edifice which looks beautifully out on the meadows the low braid hills, and the distant Pentlands. It is another hospital. A few turns of the wheel, and before him, within a fine park, or rather ornamental garden, stands the finest structure of our town, a masterpiece of Ignoj Jones, with a princely revenue of fifteen thousand pounds a year. It is another hospital. The carriage now jostles over a stone. The stranger turns his head and sees, but some hundred yards away, a large dutch-like structure sketching out its long lines of windows with the gilded ship the sign of commerce for a weather-vane on its summit that is another hospital our friend concludes and not without some reason that instead of the modern athens edinburgh might be called the city of hospitals i have no quarrel at present with these institutions their management is in the hands of wise excellent and honourable men and in so far as they fail to accomplish the good intended it is not that they are mismanaged the management is not bad but in some of its elements the system itself is vicious god never made men to be reared in flocks but in families man is not a gregarious animal other than that he herds together with his race in towns or congeries of families born with domestic affections whatever interferes with their free and full play is an evil to be shunned and in its moral and physical results to be dreaded god framed and fitted man to grow up not under the hospital but under the domestic roof whether that roof be the canvas of an arab tent the turf of a highland shieling, or the gilded dome of a palace and as man was no more made to be reared in a hospital than the human foot to grow in a chinese shoe or the human body to be bound in ribs of iron or whalebone acting in both cases in controversion of god's law you are as sure in the first to inflict injury on his moral as in the second on his physical constitution they commit a grave mistake who forget that injury as inevitably results from flying in the face of a moral or mental as a physical law so long as rice is rice you cannot rear it on the bald brow of a hilltop it loves the hollows and the valleys with their water floods and so long as man is man, more or less of damage will follow the attempt to rear him in circumstances for which his maker never adapted him. But apart from all this, who and what are the children that under the roof of these crowded hospitals receive shelter, food, clothing, and instruction? It is much deplored by many, and can be denied by none, that in some of these hospitals not a few of the inmates are the children of those who are able, and ought to be willing, and, but for the temptation these institutions present, would be willing, to train up their children as olive plants around the domestic table, and rear them within the tender, kind, holy, and heaven-blessed circle of a domestic home, a home where they might nurse those perfect affections towards parents, brothers, sisters, and smiling babes, which, for a man's good in this life and the well-being of society, are worth more than all Greek and Roman lore. I cannot better convey my ideas and feelings in this matter than by saying that when a governor of Harriet's Hospital, a hospital which enjoys the care and attention both of the town council and the city clergy, I was astonished to be applied to by a respectable man on behalf of his son. Let me not be misunderstood. I do not much blame parents and guardians for availing themselves of these hospitals, even when they might do otherwise. A well-furnished table, lodging the most comfortable... A first-rate education in some instances valuable bursaries and occasionally when launched into the world a sum of money to float the favored pupil on these present a temptation to tear the child from a mother's side and send it away from a father's care which it is not easy to resist still to resume my narrative i was amazed to receive such an application from such a quarter the applicant was a sober and excellent man living in what the world would call respectable circumstances knowing this nevertheless i asked him can you give your boy pottage in the morning yes said he surprised at such a question potatoes to dinner certainly pottage at night he looked astonished he knew and i knew and all his neighbours knew that he was able to do a great deal more then i said my friend were i you it should not be till they had laid me in my coffin that boy of mine should lose the blessings of a father's fireside and be cast amid the dangers of a public hospital i may perhaps add that i thought him a wise man for he took my advice and before leaving these hospitals i think it right also to add in justice to the management of Herod's hospital that some three thousand pounds a year is applied to the maintenance of schools scattered up and down the city where the children of decent tradesmen mechanics and laborers receive a good gratis education now to resume for convenience sake the company of my stranger friend skirting along the ruins of the old city wall and passing down the venal we descend into the grass market a large capacious place with the exception of some three or four modern houses standing as it did two centuries ago the most perfect specimen in our city of the olden time its old massive fronts reared as if in picturesque contempt of modern uniformity some with the flat roofs of the east and others of the flemish school with their sharp and lofty gables topped by the rose the thistle and the fleur-de-lis still looked down on that square as in the days when it was one sea of heads every eye turned to the great black gallows which rose high over all and from which amid the hushed and awful silence of assembled thousands came the loud last psalm of a hero of the covenant who had come there to play the man in a small well-conditioned town with the exception of some children basking on the pavement and playing with the dogs that have gone over with them to enjoy the sunny side between the hours of ten and one you miss the scripture picture of boys and girls playing in the street not so in the grass-market on one side of this square in two-thirds of the shops for we have counted them spirits are sold the sheep are near the slaughter-house the victims are in the neighbourhood of the altars the mouth of almost every close is filled with loungers worse than neapolitan lazzaroni bloated and brutal figures ragged and wretched old men bold and fierce-looking women and many a half-clad mother shivering in cold winter her naked feet on the frozen pavement a skeleton infant in her arms on a summer day when in the blessed sunshine and warm air misery itself will sing dashing in and out of these closes careening over the open ground engaged in their rude games arrayed in flying drapery here a leg out and there an arm are crowds of children their thin faces tell how ill they are fed their fearful oaths tell how ill they are reared and yet the merry laugh and hearty shout and screams of delight as some unfortunate urchin at leap-frog measures his length upon the ground also tell that god made childhood to be happy and that in that buoyancy of youth even misery will forget itself. We get hold of one of these boys. Poor fellow. It is a bitter day. He has neither shoes nor stockings. His naked feet are red, swollen, cracked, ulcerated with the cold. A thin, thread-worn jacket, with its gaping rents, is all that protects his breast. Beneath his shaggy bush of hair he shows a face sharp with want, yet sharp also with intelligence beyond his years that poor little fellow has learned already to be self-supporting. He has studied the arts. He is a master of imposture, lying, begging, stealing, and small blame to him, but much more to those who have neglected him. He had otherwise pined and perished. So soon as you have satisfied him that you are not connected with the police, you ask him, where is your father? Now hear his story, and there are hundreds could tell a similar tale. Where is your father? he is dead sir where is your mother dead too where do you stay sister and i and my little brother live with granny what is she she's a widow woman what does she do sells sticks sir and can she keep you all no then how do you live go about and get bits of meat sell matches and sometimes get a trifle from the carriers for running an errand do you go to school no never was at school attended sometimes a sabbath school, but have not been there for a long time. Do you go to church? Never was in a church. Do you know who made you? Yes, God made me. Do you say your prayers? Yes, mother taught me a prayer before she died, and I say it to granny afore I lie down. Have you a bed? Some straw, sir. Our stranger friend is astonished at this. Not we. Alas, We have ceased to be astonished at any amount of misery suffered, or suffering, in our overgrown cities. You have, says he, splendid hospitals where children are fed and clothed and educated, whose parents, in instances not a few, could do all that for them. You have beautiful schools for the gratis education of the children of respectable tradesmen and mechanics. What provision have you made for these children of crime, misery, and misfortune?" let us go and see the remedy which this rich enlightened christian city has provided for such a crying evil we blush as we tell him there is none let us explain ourselves such children cannot pay for education nor avail themselves of a gratis one even though offered that little fellow must beg and steal or he starves with a number like himself he goes as regularly to that work of a morning as the merchant to his shop or the tradesman to his place of labor They are turned out, driven out sometimes, to get their meat, like sheep to the hills or cattle to the fields, and if they don't bring home a certain supply, a drunken father and a brutal beating await them. For example, I was returning from a meeting one night about twelve o'clock. It was a fierce blast of wind and rain. In Prince's Street a piteous voice and a shivering boy pressed me to buy a tract. I asked the child why he was out in such a night and at such an hour, He had not got his money. He dared not go home without it. He would rather sleep in a stair all night. I thought, as we passed a lamp, that I had seen him before. I asked if he went to church. Sometimes to Mr. Guthrie's was his reply. On looking again, I now recognized him as one I had occasionally seen in the Cowgate Chapel. Muffled up to meet the weather, he did not recognize me. I asked him what his father was. I have no father, sir. He is dead. His mother?" she is very poor but why keep you out here and then reluctantly the truth came out i knew her well and had visited her wretched dwelling she was a tall dark gaunt gypsy-looking woman who notwithstanding a cap of which it could not be but premised that it had once been white and a gown that it had once been black had some traces of one who had seen better days but now she was a drunkard sin had turned her into a monster and she would have beaten that poor child within an inch of death if he had been short of the money, by her waste of which she starved him and fed her own accursed vices. Now, by this anecdote, illustrating to my stranger friend the situation of these unhappy children, I added that, nevertheless, they might get education and secure some measure both of common and Christian knowledge. But mark how and where not as in the days of our blessed saviour when the tender mother brought her children for his blessing the jailer brings them now their only passage to school is through the police office their passport is a conviction of crime and in this christian and enlightened city it is only within the dark walls of a prison that they are secure either of school or bible when one thinks of their own happy boys at home bounding free on the green and breathing the fresh air of heaven or of the little fellow that climbs a father's knee and asks the oft-repeated story of Moses, or of Joseph, it is a sad thing to look through the eyelet of a cell-door, on the weary solitude of a child spelling its way through the Bible. It makes one sick to hear men sing the praises of the fine education of our prisons. How much better and holier were it to tell us of an education that would save the necessity of a prison school! I like well to see the lifeboat with her brave and devoted crew, But with far more pleasure, from the window of my old country manse, I used to look out at the bell rock tower standing erect among the stormy waters, where, in the mists of the day, the bell was rung, and in the darkness of the night, the light was kindled, and thereby the mariners were not saved from the wreck, but saved from being wrecked at all. Instead of first punishing crime and then, through means of a prison education, trying to prevent its repetition, we appeal to men's common sense common interest humanity and christianity if it were not better to support a plan which would reverse this process and seek to prevent that there may be no occasion to punish but it may be asked would not this be accomplished by the existence and multiplication of schools where in circumstances of necessity a gratis education may be obtained we answer certainly not look at how the thing works and is working you open such a school in some poor locality of the city. Among the more decent and well-provided children there is a number of shoeless, shirtless, capless, ragged boys, as wild as desert savages. The great mass of those in the district you have not swept into your school. But grant that through moral influence, or otherwise, you do succeed in bringing out a small percentage. Mark what happens. In a few days this and that one fail to answer at roll-call now an essential element of successful education is regular attendance for in truth the world would get on as ill were the son to run his course to-day and take a rest or play the truant to-morrow and be so irregular in his movements that no one could count upon his appearance as will the work of education with an attendance at school constantly broken and interrupted feeling this the teacher seeks the abode of the child climbs some three or four dark stairs and finds himself in such an apartment as we have often seen where there is neither board, bed, nor Bible. Round the cinders, gathered from the street, sit some half-naked children, his poor ragged pupil among the number. Your child, says he to the mother, has been away from school. I pray the Christian public to listen to her reply. I could not afford to keep him there, she answered. He maun do something for his meat. I venture to say nay i confidently affirm that there are many hundreds of children in these circumstances this day in edinburgh i ask the christian public what are we to do one of two things we must do look at them first we may leave the boy alone by and by he will qualify himself for school begging his next neighbour to thieving he steals and is apprehended cast into prison and having been marched along the public street shackled to a policeman and returning to society with the jail brand on his brow any tattered shred of character that hung loose about him before now is lost as the french say and all the world knows c'est quoi la première par he ascends from step to step till a halter closes his unhappy career or he has passed away to a penal settlement the victim of a poverty for which he was not to blame and of a neglect on the part of others for which a righteous God one day will call them to judgment. There is another alternative, and it is that we advocate. Remove the obstruction which stands between that poor child and the schoolmaster and the Bible. Roll away the stone that lies between the living and the dead, and since he cannot attend your school unless he starves, give him food. Feed him in order to educate him. Let it be the food of the plainest, cheapest kind." but by that food open his way to school. By that powerful magnet to a hungry child, draw him to it. Strolling one day with a friend along the romantic scenery of the crags and green valleys round Arthur's seat, we came at length to St. Anthony's Well and sat down on the great black stone to have a talk with the ragged boys that were pursuing their vocation there. Their tinnies were ready with a draught of the clear cold water, in hope of half a penny, We thought it would be kindness to them, and certainly not out of place in us, to tell them of the living water that springeth up to eternal life, and of him who sat on the stone of Jacob's well, and who stood in the temple and cried, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. By way of introduction we began to question them about schools. As to the boys themselves, one was fatherless, the son of a poor widow. The father of the other was alive, but a man of low habits and character. Both were poorly clothed, the one had never been at school, the other had sometimes attended a Sabbath school. These two little fellows were self-supporting, living by such shifts as they were then engaged in. Encouraged by the success of Sheriff Watson, who had the honor to lead this enterprise, the idea of a destitute school was then floating in my brain, and so, with reference to it, the scheme and by way of experiment, I said, Would you go to school if, besides your learning, you were able to get breakfast, dinner, and supper there? It would have done any man's heart good to have seen the flash of joy that broke from the eyes of one of the boys, the flush of pleasure on his cheek, as, hearing of three sure meals a day, he leapt to his feet and exclaimed, "'Aye, will I, sir, and bring the hail land, too!' Footnote, the whole tenement. Footnote. And then, as if afraid I might withdraw what seemed to him so large and magnificent an offer, he again exclaimed, "'I'll come for but my dinner, sir,' I have abundant statistics before me to prove that there are many hundreds of children in this town in circumstances as hopeless as those I describe, and who must be fed in order to receive a common moral and religious education, without which, humanly speaking, they are ruined both for this world and the next. How many there are in more hopeless circumstances still, I never knew till I had gone to see one of the saddest sights a man could look on. The night asylum was not then established. The houseless, The inhabitants of stairfoots those like the five boys lately sent to prison who had no home but an empty cellar in shakespeare square found at the time when they sought it or dared to seek it a shelter in the police office i had often heard of the misery it presented and detained at a meeting till past midnight i went with one of my elders who was a commissioner of police to visit the scene in a room the walls of which were hung with bunches of skeleton keys the dark lanterns of the thief and other instruments of housebreaking sat the lieutenant of the watch, who, when he saw me at that untimely hour handed in by an officer and one of the commissioners, looked surprise itself. Having satisfied him that there was no misdemeanor, we proceeded, under the charge of an intelligent officer, to visit the wards. Our purpose here is not to describe the strangest, saddest collection of human misery I ever saw. But to observe that there were not a few children who having no home on earth had sought and found shelter there for the night they had not where to lay their head turned adrift in the morning and subsisting as best they could during the day this wreck of society like the wreck of the seashore came drifting in again at evening tide i remember looking down after visiting a number of wards and cells from the gallery in an open space where five or six human beings lay on the pavement buried in slumber and right opposite the stove, with its ruddy light shining full on his face, lay a poor child who attracted my especial attention. He was miserably clad, he seemed about eight years old, he had the sweetest face I ever saw. His bed was the stone pavement, his pillow a brick, and as he lay calm in sleep, forgetful of all his sorrows, he looked a picture of injured innocence. His story, which I learned from the officer, was a sad one, but such a one as too many could tell. He had neither father nor mother, brother nor friend in the wide world. His only friends were the police, his only home their office. How he lived they did not know, but sent away in the morning he often returned. The floor of a ward, the stone by the stove, was a better bed than a stairfoot. I could not get that boy out of my head or heart for days and nights together. I have often regretted that some effort was not made to save him. Some six or seven years are now by and gone. And before now launched on the sea of human passion and exposed to a thousand temptations he has too probably become a melancholy wreck what else could any man who believes in the depravity of human nature and knows the dangers of the world expect him to become these neglected children whom we have left in ignorance and starved into crime must grow up into criminals the pest the shame the burden the punishment of society and the increasing expenses of public charities workhouses poor rates prisons police officers and superior officers of justice what do we see but the judgments of a righteous god and hear but the echo of these solemn words be sure your sin will find you out from statistics before me i repeat it again and it ought to be repeated till a remedy be provided that there are at least a thousand children in this city others say some thousands but i would rather much understate than in the least exaggerate the case who cannot receive such an education as will bless them and make them a blessing to society unless along with their education they are provided with the means of keeping body and soul together let the christian public observe that while such schools as lady effingham's lady anderson's and the duchess of gordon's and others of the same description are most creditable to the large-hearted benevolence of these ornaments of the upper and best friends of the lower classes, and are the means of incalculable good to a low class, yet they hardly touch that lowest class, for the sake of whose interests I have stepped forth from my own peculiar walk, and now venture, through the press, on this appeal. The fact may be doubted by some, who have never left their drawing-rooms to visit, like angels of mercy, the abodes of misery and crime, but no visitor of the destitute sick society no humble and hard-working city missionary no enlightened christian governor of our prisons no superintendent of night asylum and house of refuge none who like myself has been called on to explore amid fever and famine the depths of human misery in this city and has come in close and painful and heart-sickening contact with its crimes and poverty i say none of these will doubt it at least I have seen none who doubted it. I implore the public to remember that we have not here the miserable consolation that the infected will die off. They are mixed with society, each an active centre of corruption. Around them you can draw no cordon sanitaire. The leaven is every day leavening more and more of the lump. Parents are begetting and breeding up children in their own image, while ignorance and vice and crime. Are shooting ahead even of the increase of that population i have long felt inclined to add my experience to that of many benevolent and christian men who have gone before me regarding the deplorable and dangerous state of the class who form the substratum of society and also to the miserable provision made even for decent poverty for those whom the hand of god has smitten and the manifold temptations they are thereby exposed to But the pressure of other avocations, the difficulty of getting the public ear in times of excitement, and the lack of any approved remedy for the evil in its first causes must explain my silence in the past. We have been for some time inclined to hold that such a remedy was only to be found in the schools which we now propose, but till the experience of Aberdeen and Dundee had turned what was but a presumption into a fact, we had not the courage to venture on the proposal. We see no way of securing the amelioration and salvation of these forlorn, outcast, and destitute children, but by making their maintenance a bridge and a stepping-stone to their education. It has been tried and proved, that without some such instrumentality you cannot get these children to school, at least you cannot get more than the smallest percentage of them. And though you could, though you got the hungry, shivering child into your class, what heart has he for learning, whose pale face and hollow eyes tell you he is starving? What teacher could have the heart to punish a child who has not broken his fast that day? What man of sense, of common sense, would mock with books a boy who is starving for bread? Let Christian men answer our Lord's question. Let every one who is a parent think of it. What father, if his child asked for bread, would give him a stone? And let me ask, what is English grammar, or the rule of three, or the ABC, to a poor hungry child? What is it but a stone? i have often met this difficulty in dealing with the grown-up who possessed what the child does not sense to understand the importance of the lesson i have seen it in a way not to be forgotten it was in the depth of a hard winter day when visiting the cowgate i entered a room where save a broken table there was not a furniture to my recollection but a crazy bedstead on which beneath a ragged coverlet lay a very old grey-headed woman I began to speak to her about her soul, as to one near eternity, on which, raising herself up and stretching out her bare withered arm, she cried most piteously, I am cold and hungry. My poor old friend, I said, we will do what we can to relieve these wants, but let me in kindness remind you that there is something worse than either cold or hungry. Aye, but, sir, was the reply, if you were as cold and hungry as I am, ye could think of Nathan else." she read me a lesson that day which i have never forgotten and which as the earnest advocate of these poor forlorn children i ask a humane and christian public to apply to their case the public may plant schools thick as trees of the forest but be assured unless besides being trees of knowledge to borrow a figure from the isles of the pacific they are also breadfruit trees few of these children will seek their shadow far less sit under it with great delight End of section 1